I like to um, begin a Dharma talk by taking refuge. So you're welcome to join me uh, saying it in your own words or just listening. I take refuge in the Buddha, the awakened nature of all beings. I take refuge in the Dharma, the teachings that lead to freedom and love. And I take refuge in Sangha community practicing together. So on uh, Monday nights, we've been exploring a life purpose or life vow, which is the word we often use in the Zen tradition to talk about life purpose, life vow. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Chosen Roshi wrote a book on life vow called uh, The Vow Powered Life. And although it can sound a little self-helpy, uh, it is a very like deep Dharma book and um, has a lot of exercises, a lot of exercises that I didn't share during uh, these talks about accessing vow uh, in creative ways. Uh, so if you are interested in this topic and interested in going a little bit deeper, maybe doing your own process of around vow and purpose or feel like you are in a process around vow and purpose, um, that book might be a support. There are, like I said, a lot of creative exercises, ways of just helping us engage with um, the imagination and our practical minds and, and also seeing the ways that vows have shaped us over time. Uh, and she introduces this concept of reactive vows sometimes we're shaped by vows of others and react to them and say, I will never do that. Uh, so those also can be part of our, our vowing and um, sometimes can get in the way or sometimes need to be updated. So today I want to talk about uh, challenges that arise on the path. Uh, and this could be, you know, the spiritual path in general or more specifically around a path of uh, living the precepts or living from our uh, life vows or uh, from our life purpose. Um, but before I do that, I also want to invite in uh, the mystics vow because it's easy and I, I just keep coming back to this because it's so easy when we start talking about uh, life purpose or life vow um, that our, our thinking can get rather abstract quickly. Uh, we're talking or thinking and, and we, lose, we lose touch with what's happening now. We lose touch with our embodied experience. We lose touch with our heart sometimes and can get very like mental uh, about this process. And we also can easily fall into thinking that there's something that we have to do and we have to figure it out and it's gonna happen sometime in the future if we could just figure it out now. And once we figure out the thing to do and do it, then we will have accomplished our vow and fulfilled our purpose. And that you know, can sound a little mythic and, and yet that myth, I think, is, is very much like underlying a lot of a cultural talk about life purpose. Um, like the, you know, the image of the hero's journey. And so it can just be helpful to kind of notice when that 
tape <laughs> I'm dating myself when that tape is running or those you know that uh, cultural narrative is running in the way that it um, affects us yeah and someone just asked for the name of the book uh, it's called the vow powered life and it's by Jan chosen Bayes Roshi and you can find it um, on the zendust.org website so connected to this organization uh, in in zen works so i want to come back to the mystic vow and the mystic vow is a vow of immediacy it's it's like an invitation to right here right now see how we are living our vows or even you know more outrageously to see how our vows are being fulfilled it's an invitation into deep presence into the truth of completion or the truth of perfection which is the truth of like this moment right now right here is complete is whole your life right here right now is complete is whole you don't need to get anything else you don't need to do anything else to prove it just your being your life as it's appearing right now is complete the treasury of luminosity is right here where you sit shining from your heart seeing through your eyes the radiant light of awakened nature shines forth from every being everything all at once Buddha nature or awakened nature isn't something we get if we're good or get in the future if we're good buddha nature awakened nature is us is us hakuin zenji says it this way this earth where we stand is the pure lotus land this very body is the body of buddha i um was listening to this artist called just a tourist who um, writes music to the, their guiding teacher he's a Vajrayana teacher named TK um, to to their teachers music or to their teachers poetry um, and I want to share some some lyrics or some words from this person's poetry which is like maybe a more modern way of expressing the mystic vow so it says there is a love born with us into us anyone who is not walking toward that love is already lying down in their casket waiting just waiting how do we know if we're walking toward that love when the thingness of things becomes each day more and more like sunlight how do we know if we're walking toward that love when the thingness of things becomes each day 
more and more like sunlight. And yet, so there's the mystic vow, which is not trite, is something to continuously affirm for ourselves because it's so easy to overlook the completeness of this moment, the perfection of this moment, and think that there is something wrong or something that we need to do to make things right or to complete ourselves. And yet we do have bodies, hearts, and minds, and a vision for this life. And we can live the mystic's vision and still do the work we feel called to do. The work we feel called to do in this life, in the world. But even the more we affirm and live from what I'm calling the mystic vision, from from this sense of, of wholeness, from seeing the completion from seeing uh, the awakened nature of all all beings is that that our vow is more grounded in a sense of offering in, in a sense of selfless service you could say of of offering ourselves and our talents and not figuring it out so that we can complete something that isn't complete it's just it has a different feeling to it and also has a much more permission that our life vow and the and the offering that we make isn't just one thing right it's a continuous practice it's a continuous meeting it is like the practice of immediacy like showing up for all the things that we show up for so maybe our work in this moment is, or in this phase of life, is healing family trauma, or maybe our work, or our vow, or the shape of our vow in this life, in this moment, is a creative endeavor, or raising children, or learning to be more compassionate towards ourselves, or starting a nonprofit, or being gener- generous with our resources, or maybe it's it's cooking, it's still clarifying, and that's part of what's drawing you to listen to this talk. So whatever form our life takes, our vows can function in that form. Our vows must function in that form. And inevitably we will meet challenges. So I wanna speak about some of the inner obstacles that can arise around uh, life vow or life purpose or precepts work because precepts work is very much part of this um, life vow kind of work precepts are vows so really these are inner obstacles that can arise when we endeavor to do anything including walking the spiritual path Inner obstacles can help us clarify our hearts and minds. They can help us heal or expose limiting beliefs. And um, really meeting inner obstacles often makes us more humble, more human, (laughs) allows us to accept our humanity um, and open-hearted and wise if we continue to practice when they arise. So I wanna speak to uh, some uh, inner obstacles that 
I'm going to give names, like names of, of different parts of us that may present obstacles when we're doing bouts work. Uh, and this is uh, something that Chosen Roshi would teach when she was teaching inner critic workshop or when she was teaching mindful eating workshop. So anytime we're like trying and ever endeavoring to do something, uh, these parts sometimes get activated. I'm going to give them more general names. You might have a more specific relationship uh, with these parts. The first part is the perfectionist. So this is a part of us um, that's definitely different than the mystic view of perfection. So the mystic sees the perfection in everything simply because it is. Sees the perfection of life as it is, simply because it is. It's arising and, and that in and of itself is, is perfect or is complete. The perfectionist, on the other hand, holds some ideal of what perfection looks like. And usually this ideal is unreachable because the perfectionist kind of takes from all these different beings and creates an ideal for us. So it might be like, oh, for your spiritual practice, like you need to have the compassion of the Dalai Lama um, and be able to articulate it like Pema Chodron and have the selflessness of Mother Teresa and just like, you know, gathering all these visions of the different idols that you might have or different people who represent what you're looking for. And that can, you know, that can happen in terms of like our ideal body image and that can happen in terms of, you know, what it would look like to successfully run a nonprofit and that can look like, you know, that can get into our art and our creativity. We start to look around comparing ourselves to others, to like great artists and how you can find so many artists online and, you know, start comparing ourselves and holding up this standard of like, oh, if you were a good artist, this is what it would look like. Or if you were a good Dharma teacher, this is what you would sound like. Or if you were really awakened, like this is how you would appear. And, and the goal can become more and more unreachable as this perfectionist just keeps looking around and noticing and con like forming conglomerations of, of beings based on what is read or heard of. And, you know, we can hear like stories of the Buddha and sometimes stories of the Buddha like can feel a little embellished. Like, you know, the people who are talking about the Buddha created this person god feeling sometimes and and we can be like oh my gosh I don't have that kind of compassion and so we you know we can create this this high 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 ideal that becomes maybe impossible and it can start to trigger this sense of I'm not good enough or or I'm a failure or it can touch that wound many of us have that that wound or have that belief somewhere in the mix of beliefs uh, and for some of us, it can be quite raw and the perfectionist can really t touch that or trigger that, um, which can lead to like just wanting to give up or can lead to a sense of hopelessness or can lead to other strategies in order to try to achieve or, or get what we want or what the perfectionist is holding out for us. So perfectionism places an unrealistic expectation on us as human beings. And that's part of what can make it uh, challenging. But it's not bad in and of itself. Like, you know, a, a, like, 
well-functioning perfectionist maybe we wouldn't call it a perfectionist but is someone who, who or is a part of us that can you know look out at the world and be inspired by people and um and you know want to do better want to improve our character or you know get better at our creative endeavors and that in and of itself isn't bad it just when it starts to like take over in a certain way uh, it can be helpful to be able to name this part like oh that's the perfectionist that's what it does it looks around it scans for who's doing it the best and i want to be like that and it even sees like you know things out of context it can be like oh that person in that moment said something really wise and I want to be that wise, but I don't want any of their other bad or, or like negative characteristics. And so it, it can be sneaky. One other part of us that can get activated when we have an activated uh, perfectionist is what, you, what we often call the pusher or the doer or the workaholic part. And this part often receives the perfectionist's vision and then wants to get to work. It becomes achievement-driven, makes to-do lists, fills up your schedule with meetings and events and extracurricular activities or art classes, you know, whatever the thing is or the things are that um, the perfectionist is wanting you to improve, the pusher or the doer or the workaholic will start to, to do those things to help you achieve or succeed at the perfectionist vision. So the um, one way, ways to, to kind of catch the, the pusher or the doer is that sense of being busy, the way busyness or restlessness feels in your body, uh, the way it can feel to work a lot. And sometimes this busyness or this like workaholicness uh, can also cover up that feeling of not being good enough or that something's wrong with us and so you can start to see how um, those beliefs or those wounds can can fuel both the perfectionist and the the pusher or the doer and then we have the inner critic uh, and the inner critic criticizes so chosen roshi used to call this the unholy trio the perfectionist the pusher and the inner critic and they how they play on each other um, but the inner critic is is criticizing us kind of every step of the way for not being perfect, is comparing us to others, is judging us, is criticizing us for not following through on all the pushers to do's. It can be very relentless in its criticism. It may start to hold up images of all the times we have failed and kind of give this attitude of why even try. Uh, it may like straight up tell us we're not good enough or use other shaming kinds of phrases or language languaging like he was really saying like you're there is something wrong with you or you're not good enough so can you continuing to use that that wound so those are three you know big parts that can get involved in our spiritual practice can get involved in any um, way, way that we start to live into our vows can get involved in precept practice or um, other aspects of our lives. You might notice you know, places in your life where maybe one or all of those um, parts functions. And then other parts that may uh, get involved in, in vowing or in, in our 
life purpose work is parts that doubt. Uh, so maybe doubt that you can, can be kind of similar to the inner critic, maybe doubt that you can really do what you want to do or be who you want to be. Um, maybe doubt the spiritual path in general. Maybe doubt that um, you have Buddha nature. Like the, the doubting part can really go, go for it all. Uh, and then fear or anxiety parts that can get triggered as we're starting to maybe put ourselves out there or share some of our vision or live more authentically who we are. And, you know, fear or anxiety can arise um, if we're going maybe a little against the grain or against what other people are doing against the stream is a common um, reference to Buddhist practice in general, that we're going against the stream of habits or against the stream of um, what our society values. So in IFS language, I just named some parts, uh, and these are all like protective parts. So they're parts that are you know, trying to manage our system, wanting us to be safe and loved and acknowledged and accepted. And if they're really strong, uh, if these parts start to come up re really strong and, and you can notice them like taking over your system, that usually means that they are protecting a vulnerable part of us um, that may have been told or, or inferred that you're not good enough or that they're unlovable or unworthy or don't deserve or were ashamed or hurt in some other way. Ways that we can um, meet these inner challenges when they arise or meet these parts of us is to learn to recognize them when they arise. So often, um, you know, when I'm doing parts work with somebody, there can be this sense of like, well, that's me. Um, so, so, so learning to recognize, wait, oh, that's a part of me. There's a part of me that believes I'm not good enough, or there's a part of me that criticizes, or there's a part of me that holds this perfectionist idea, or there's a part of me that can really work hard or likes to be busy, um, but that's not the whole of who you are. And parts can, um, parts work can be a helpful framework because we do have different drives and motives. And there's parts of us that can dream, like we were talking about last week, if you were here, like dreaming, like, oh, if I could do anything, or what is the vision I hold for the world? Or how do I want to show up in my life? Like really letting your, your dreaming parts vision. Um, but then there are parts that might feel overwhelmed by those dreams or uncertain or parts that, you know, once the dream happens, then they hold that up as the ideal and then get activated into having to do a lot or get busy. And they may be like, you know, often if a part is really activated, it's often driven by, um, you know, some fear or shame that it's trying to pr protect. If it's really like really taking over, there's usually some other fuel there besides just like pure love and devotion and sense of offering. So a question could be like, who, who's in there? <laughs> who's driving the bus is one way I like to ask that question. Like who's driving your, your bus? Who's making the decisions? 
Or who do you think you are in this moment? And when there's a strong agenda, when you sense a strong agenda in yourself, and that usually means that a part is kind of leading, is driving the bus. And it can be just interesting to notice, well, who, who is that? And what is their agenda? What is motivating them? And one way to get you know, space from our parts is awareness. So uh, meditation can be a really helpful way of noticing who's been driving the bus all day long. Uh, what, you know, what voices are most present as you sit down to meditate. And then learning to be with them with curiosity and compassion. And that you know, sometimes is easier to do than others. Sometimes if we're in a certain part and we start to bring uh, compassion to it and get a little space from it, another part might get activated by that. Um, but we can start to like learn like how to be, how to feel these different energies within us, these different poles. Sometimes our parts of, sometimes there's like polarization or inner conflict that we can become aware of, which, you know, especially in doing vow work and noticing those polarizations, um, we can more skillfully like kind of be our own inner mediator and you know, help our whole system like get on board with something or listen to vulnerable parts who might be scared and course correct. You know, there's a lot of wisdom in our system, including from parts that maybe seem vulnerable. And then remember that we can always return to the mystic vow. And that's part of what we return to when we sit down and do zazen or, or meditate. We come back to this moment and we come back to, maybe we don't think this in our heads, but we come back to the, the utter perfection and beauty of things as they are. We come back to awareness and we can see you know, when, we're, when we're in awareness, when we're in that more spacious place of awareness, that there is no need to fix. Like we can see the perfection or the beauty of ourselves as we are, the parts of us as they are. When we aren't identified with our parts, they are energy, they are body sensation, they are voice, they are feeling, who really just need our attention and love and compassion and curiosity and kindness and transform quite um, immensely when we're able to be with ourselves in that way, with our parts in that way. So when we aren't identified, we can begin to see the awakened nature of ourselves and the awakened nature of others and the world. And so Zazen is a practice of helping us disidentify from these these habits of mind it's one aspect of zazen and see things as they are you know free from these parts or these energies or these perspectives um, which can so often you know just take over and that's what we're seeing from we're seeing through the eyes of judgment or we're seeing through the eyes of the inner critic when we 
can get a little space from them and zazen we can see more clearly things as they are we can see more clearly uh, ourselves as we are and then often i find compassion naturally arises kindness naturally arises it isn't even something that i need to cultivate it's it's there as i you know just get you know a little bit of space so as i come back to presence or come back to uh, embodied awareness and then we can you know, continue walking toward that love how do we know that we're walking toward that love when the thingness of things becomes each day more and more like sunlight so i'll end there thank you for your attention